Welcome to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your All Star host, Emily Rice, perhaps known to some of you as DJ Carly Sagan. Um, but during the day, I'm a mild mannered professor of astronomy at the CUNY College of Staten Island, uh, part of the City University of New York, and an astronomer at the American Museum of Natural History. And tonight, with my uh, my comedic co-host is Harrison Greenbaum. Hey, Harrison, welcome. Nice to have you. Nice to be here. I love the this whole outfit. Thank you. This you is also start a blog part or something. <laughs> We have we dominate the universe with our astro fashion blog. So the blog is called Startorialist, um, and hopefully Star Talk watchers, uh, listeners know because Summer Ash and I do the blog. She's another astronomer based in New York City, and we've had we've done a whole astro fashion episode of Star Talk All Stars. And so if you haven't seen that already. Watch that one. Um, I need a moon shirt because I'm also barren and have supported no life. <laughs> oh yeah, you, like, we've got everything for everybody. So today I am wearing a moon shirt. It's a pretty fancy moon shirt. Um, it's by a designer called Anna Locking, who's a Spanish designer, and she actually had a whole like collection that was called American Landscape, and it ended with moon print stuff, which is just phen- phenomenally. Um, I think conceptual a little bit because the the rest of the collection was a little bit more about like the American Southwest and road tripping and stuff like that. And then the end was the moon stuff. And one of them was this amazing gown, like it was a gown. And so this is like from that collection a little bit, but not quite as um, as as amazing as a ball gown of moon print. But there's a whole, there's a universe of astro fashion. I can hook you up. I can get you a moon t-shirt. I had an Einstein wearing sunglasses, long sleeve shirt that I wore to death in high school. That was the closest <laughs> I got to science fashion. Um, you're So you are a comedian. You've hosted uh, The Unbelievables, the world's greatest entertainers, and traveled yeah. across Australia. We did. We, I did a two-month tour. It was December, January, all throughout Australia. So summer in Australia. Yes, which is amazing. Yeah. I skipped the winter, which was wonderful. <laughs> uh, I went from 40 degrees Celsius to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. That was the plane ride back. So basically oh 40 God, to 40. Bad. 40 is very hot and then kind of cold. So we, I, yeah. Negative 40 is the same in both. Really? Yeah, which I don't think that you want to experience un, yeah. either one of those. Okay. I would need a new jacket, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like one of those Arctic, like Canadian goose jackets. Maybe several of them. <laughs> um, and joining us live in the studio today, our special guest is Jana Gersovich. Hey, everyone. Hi. Um, ja- so, Jana, you have a PhD in astronomy from Columbia University, mm-hmm. and then you are a postdoc. That was my safety school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for astrophysics? Yes. <laughs> I was a psych major. I was in the soft sciences. Aww, they're all sciences. I feel like psychology is actually going to come up when we talk about Jana's book. Yes. Um, so let me talk. So Jana was also a scientist and an educator at the American Museum of Natural History. Um, but today we have her with us because we are talking about this book that she wrote that's called The Vacation Guide to the Solar System, published uh, partially or kind of with the intergalactic uh, Intergalactic Travel Bureau is what it's called. We're going to get to that. Um, so tell us a little bit about your personal cosmic background before we get to your book. What's yeah, your research on? Yeah, so I uh, I studied dwarf galaxies. Um, so these are smaller than the galaxy we live in, the Milky Way, um, but still very large. <laughs> they are galaxies. Um, and uh, they're sort of mysterious because we think there should be many more of them than we actually observe. And so part of what I was looking, looking for were new dwarf galaxies that had not been discovered before. And so I was able to find a few of those. You, fa- you, fa- you literally... 
literally discovered a yeah. galaxy. Dwarf galaxy, but still, you discovered a galaxy. Yep. What's its name? Uh, it's Pisces A, Pisces B. Um, okay. And so uh, so they have these standards. Astro- you went to astrology from astronomy? No, it's not. It's not. If I'm ever with a girl and she says, what's your sign? I'm like, the exit. I'm out of here. Oh. I always say Ophiuchus, and then they look really, really confused. <laughs> it turns out there's a 13th sign of the zodiac. But this is not astrology. This is astronomy. Um, uh, it's just named after the constellation that it's found in in the sky. Okay. Um, so, so everyone is like, why don't you get two. to name them after the discoverers? Yeah. Um, and it, there are a few dwarf galaxies that are named after their discoverers, but it's because they thought that they were a different type of object at first. Oh. They thought they were a globular cluster. And so, so globular your name is perfect. It could be Jan A and Jan B. <laughs> That's great. Work out perfectly. <laughs> if only. Oh, man. <laughs> So what do you do now? Yeah, so I work as a data scientist. Um, and so I work with a consulting company, um, and we do a lot of ad tech uh, and other, other other things. So it seems very different than astronomy, but um, but it, a lot of the tools are very, very much the same. Huh. But you're still involved in astronomy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so what do you do how would you yeah. say that you stay involved with astronomy? Yeah, so I, I love I love um, doing events. So um, so with the book, the book actually stemmed out of a lot of events uh, that I was doing, planning people's space vacations. Um, so it, it just started out kind of me and my co-author Olivia Kosky uh, got together and we went to this festival and we were we were sitting down with people asking what they like to do on vacation and then trans- Burning Man, yeah, a little bit like Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Burning Man, <laughs> but um, we were sitting down with people talking about vacations translating it to space so talking about places in the solar system they might want to visit how the things that they normally like to do on earth would be completely different uh, in in the environment of outer space um, or on another on, on another world so like literally just for fun or did it start out yeah, as this is so a project we, that we're gonna do yeah so Olivia works with an organization called Guerrilla Science and um, the whole idea is to bring science to people in surprising ways um, and not necessarily people G-U-E- R-I-S, not yeah, gorilla G-E- like Jane. Yeah, yeah, right. Not, not, not the animal. Um, <laughs> but even the other one is like a little bit weird. It is. Gorilla like, yeah. we're talking farks in the jungle or no? Like, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it's the A I- little bit if we're talking about Burning Man. Like. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea is to be unexpected. So I think there's a perception of science as uninteresting or like, disconnected from people's lives. And so the idea is to put on these events that are really fun and quirky and unexpected and to really engage people um, at a level that they can enjoy and understand. Awesome. And so Intergalactic Travel Bureau is one of those. Exactly. So so we started doing these events um, uh, and... People just wanted more of these events, so I've planned thousands of space vacations in my life now. <laughs> I've talked to all sorts of people. These space vacations. So I've yet to sell <laughs> space vacation. It turns out it is it's a little expensive to go to space. Um, we keep trying. We only need one. What's the most popular destination? Oh, there's a, there's a lot of popular destinations. Um, I, I think I think there's a lot of influence of whoever's planning the vacation. So mm. I feel like people tend to like whatever uh, destination the person who's planning likes the best and for me that's um a moon of saturn called titan and it's i assume it's you went from dwarfs to titan from small to (laughs) large well you know the dwarf galaxies are a lot 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 bigger than titan is (laughs) yeah it's all relative Um, but titan is is big for a moon um but it's also very amazing because it has this thick thick atmosphere um and lower gravity than the earth obviously that's fun and uh you could you could fly in the atmosphere of titan so if you had a wingsuit 
uh, and you could get up a lot of speed and it'd have to be the right conditions, but let's say you're kind of going off a cliff and you're flapping your arms in this wingsuit, you would actually be able to get airborne and glide in the atmosphere of Titan. So that, the idea of doing that is completely amazing to me and something I'd love to do. And so people tend to find that uh, a really, really fun idea for their like a thou- In a thousand years, there's just going to be some Instagram model who kills herself <laughs> trying to fly around Saturn with a GoPro. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you breathe on Titan, though? No, no. no okay. It's not a breathable atmosphere. Um, uh, We're so and, close. <laughs> yeah. You are going to need to wear a spacesuit. You're definitely yeah, going to need to okay. protect yourself. It's in, it is, you know, 300 degrees Fahrenheit, some below zero. Zero, so it's okay, very cold. Um, but the other amazing thing um, is that Titan has these beaches, oh. and uh, they're not water beaches. They are the the liquid is uh, methane and ethane. And so I like the idea. People love beach vacations, right? So this is like completely different type of beach vacation. But you could walk along the beaches in your in your spacesuit. Um, it's it's always cloudy though, so that's another yeah. <laughs> another like downer. Like but... Irish beach vacation. Yeah, it's a little. Up and it's like it's July. Here's your full wetsuit with an inch thick. Like yeah, you can surf yeah. Here. exactly. <laughs> like I did a tour yeah. in I was in Glasgow, and mm-hmm. the sun came out, and the entire town ran outside. I'm like, why is everybody so excited? I didn't realize. It was there two hours of sunshine per (laughs) month. They're like, oh, we need it. (laughs) Then it rained about two hours later. Oh, no. All right. So, Harrison, we have some queries for Jana today. All right. Here we go. Um, Well, this one is a a cute question from one of our Patreon members, Skip Morrow. Uh, My 13-year-old daughter, parentheses, and future astronaut, close parentheses, really wants to go to space today. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen today. Uh, she would like to know when space tourism opens up, will kids be able to go, or do you think it will be limited to grown-ups? I love this question. So uh, I think it's hard because it's not yet, obviously, people are not taking uh, tourist vacations to space quite yet, um, except to the International Space Station in limited circumstances. But I think, you know, this is something that, you know, on the 20-year horizon we can look at. Um, but if you could imagine Imagine a world in which we felt okay sending kids far out for the first exploration. It might actually be advantageous to be smaller in size because you have to bring with you all of the materials that you're going to need for your trip um, so that, you know, you're going to be reusing your water, right? But if you need less water to begin with because you're smaller, if you need less food, um, need less oxygen, um, there is some advantage to being a smaller human. Um, Now, it might be to pack like macaroni and cheese. Yeah. I can see the movie, Lord of the Flies, but on Jupiter. (laughs) Right, right. Um, It might be a little tricky if you were going on a long-haul vacation as a a kid because you'd have to have constant changes of spacesuits. You have to bring a bunch of spacesuits with you Ah. because it's very important that your spacesuit fit you well. That type of bar mitzvah on the way over. still (laughs) growing, that might be really difficult to work out. That'd be crazy. You launch off like a kid and then you (laughs) land on the planet. Your entire childhood is in space. (laughs) Yeah. But then again, I'd never want to be trapped with like a baby on like a flight to LA, let alone a flight to <laughs> Mars. Like that sounds awful. Yep. <laughs> There's a movie that isn't there a movie though about a kid that's born on Mars Ooh. and then has to come back to Earth. Yes. And mm. then it's like a teen rom-com. Not, yeah. I don't know if there's com, but it's rom. There's definitely yeah. romantic. But he can't, if he stays on Earth, he'll die because the gravity would be, if you were mm. born on Mars, your body would adapt to that yeah. gravity. Yeah. The space right. between us. 
is what it's called. Right. So the idea is that he's adapted to living in a lower gravity environment. Yeah. And then he comes back to Earth and like he has a Mm -hmm. a heart issue or something like Mm -hmm. that. And so I think it's whether he stays or whether he goes. Yeah. Well, that's even a problem for astronauts that are, you know, taking a year long trip to the International Space Station. Yeah. Acclimatizing to gravity. Do you know if you could grow? Like, we've only sent adults to space. So Mm -hmm. presumably their growing has ended. Right. Even though they yes. get bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they shrink again. They expand. Uh, they get a little bit taller in space because you don't have the gravity pulling you down for a little while. And then you shrink again when you come back. But would space affect a kid's growing? Like if you sure, send a 13-year-old? but I don't know oh. if it's known how. Would, would it let them grow more? Because of, I have no idea. Because that might be one of the ethical issues is mm-hmm. we're going to send a kid to space. That kid's a guinea pig because we don't know what happens to a growing <laughs> child as they yeah. hurtle through space. Like on one hand, I you know, there's tons and tons of kids that want to be astronauts and want to go to space and stuff. But how do we, yeah, we kind of have to take responsibility for that as a, I feel like we need to like an ethicist as well mm-hmm. to think about these things. Definitely. Before we let all these kids, or just let the kids all go Lord of the Flies it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I, I'm, I'm writing that movie as you speak. <laughs> All right, the take next, another question? Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Right. Where is the ideal spot? This is from at uh, 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 Gamut 8 on Twitter. Uh, where is the ideal spot to build a space prison? Oh, so boy. Opposite space of kids. <laughs> We're sending these ones away. We never want them back. Let's see. This is another um, fantastic movie, though. I love the idea of yeah, space prison. Like Alcatraz or something like that. But I, but I feel like this is like... Send me to my room where all the video games are, or something like that. I feel like it's not necessarily the, or Austri- you know, it's it's not a punishment for everybody. <laughs> That's right. No, it's right. like I think you'd want to Australia. send them maybe to a place that had um, like stronger gravity, and then <gasps> definitely not give them any rocket fuel. So you want to make it hard oh, for them to good. leave, right? right? So like, if you send them to like an asteroid that has like you know not as strong a pull of gravity at the surface, um, might be easier for them you to just launch jump off. And you're gone. <laughs> yeah. Although I don't know where you'd go after that. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think deal. the beauty of space prison is if you get them far enough away, there's no rocket that they're going to build to get themselves. <laughs> Right, right, oh. <laughs> right. It's not. It's not even space prison. Like cause p- the idea of prison is supposed to be rehabilitation, and but but like it's space like gulag. Yeah, almost right. or something. Like it's you're not meant to come back. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's talk. Let's talk about the kids yeah. again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is from I am exist on Instagram. Hey Emily, love every time you host. Oh yay! Thank you. Uh, I would like to hear about the future of safety in space tourism. So we started oh. to touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, is there a here and here <laughs> and put on your own oxygen mask? First. <laughs> it's a joke, but it's a real problem, right? Like as you're launching, there's not a good way to kind of like abort that if something <gasps> goes wrong, and that's that's really problematic. And I think that's you know part of part of why we're hesitant to push faster and faster towards sending humans to space is because there's a huge amount of risk when you are strapped to a giant explosive fuel tank, you know? But then again, when you like go bungee jumping, you sign that like 14-page document. <laughs> so maybe it's just oh a, a huge waiver being like, we, we're not responsible. Well, and there's benefits too. So it's it's this balance, right, between how much risk that you're willing to take, you know, as, you know, as yeah. humans in sending individuals. And there are many individuals who are really excited about space travel and are willing to take those risks. Um, but we're at a time right now where we're still kind of developing these new technologies. Um, uh, and so uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to think about a time when it will be completely safe to travel to space. I don't know when we're looking at it. But... If there's a medical emergency, can you do surgery in space? 
Well, this is similar to like Antarctica, right? Mm -hmm. Where Antarctica, often you get stuck. And so people, like there was the woman who, didn't she get diagnosed with breast cancer while she was down there? And so she started like doing injections and stuff like that. I think it's real, and then I think there was also an X-Files episode about it. <laughs> it was, no, maybe it was House. Maybe it was House about, like, getting diagnosed and starting, you know, talking her through the surgery and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think that's partially, like, one of the um, qualifications to be able to be an astronaut is a medical doctor, right? Like, that's accepted. You can be a medical doctor and go mm-hmm. into space. And, I, like, I would like to have a, a that kind of doctor on the flight as opposed to, like, you know, only the engineers or only the astrophysicists or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and if you're not a medical doctor, you still need to have a really good understanding of first aid because obviously you can't call an EMT to come in. Right. I was on a plane and there was like a medical issue and Mm -hmm. the guy next to me, they were like, we need a doctor and the guy next to me was like, I'm a psychologist and I was like, sit down. (laughs) (laughs) And he's going to stand over the guy and be like, are you angry you're going to die? Like, Mm -hmm. can I call for a dentist so two people can't help you? Yeah. When I got my PhD, I like changed my frequent flyer thing to put doctor on it and somebody was like, you know why that's an option, right? And I was like, no! And they were like... (laughs) They're going to call you up, Emily. And I was like, shoot, I should have done my magazine subscriptions instead. And I can't, like, you can't actually go back and change it now. It's much harder to change it back. And so every time I fly, I get very nervous because there's a doctor on my boarding pass and stuff. And I'm like, oh, why did I have to do that? Somebody's dying on the plane. You're like, but don't worry, we're all space dust. That's not very helpful at all. Oh, my gosh. I would just, like, sink lower and lower into my seat. Yeah, but when I think about about, um, safety in space, I also like to think about how things were 100 years ago, you know, with flying, right? Yeah. Because that was such a new technology and people saw it as a very dangerous thing and it's it's understandable why, right? Like there's nothing yeah. holding you up. But we've developed systems to ensure that it's safe to fly and it's much safer now to fly than it is to drive someplace. Yeah, or and like so cross the what was, Were yeah. people freaked out on the first flights? I've never thought about the first commercial sure flight. <laughs> how terrifying that is to like, well, this had, is the first time we've ever done this. Yeah, but they had nice dinner and real silverware and you could smoke and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that way, you know, they were drunk. It was probably fun. <laughs> that made me feel safer. The, the was covered in smoke yeah, and everyone yeah, was holding yeah. real knives. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna wrap up this part of the show. We'll be right back with Jana and more about space, some science education, as well as more about the Intergalactic Travel Bureau and the Travel Guide to the Solar System. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your host Emily Rice, and co-hosting today is comedian Harrison Greenbaum. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> and today our guest is astronomer and science educator Janet Gersovich of the Intergalactic Travel Bureau, um, which is a project that has been sponsored by NASA and the UK Space Agency. And the book that we have is the Vacation Guide to the Solar System. So, l- like, is this we're going like what what surprised me when I got this and started flipping through it is that it looks like a travel guide. Like, yeah, it's not a it's it's a science book, but it's a it's really a a guide. Well, like, yeah, so so there are a lot of books out there that are thinking about facts about the planets, right? But I think the really exciting thing for me, and also for people who maybe don't spend a lot of time thinking about space, is what it would be like as a human to actually visit. And so that's kind of how we came into the um, the idea for um, a travel agency, a space travel agency, and mm-hmm. also uh, a travel guide. And so when we were researching, you know, how to write this book. 
like we uh, got a stack of travel guides and used them as inspiration, especially like the the retro, the vintage yeah. sort of yeah. travel guides um, about road tripping through middle America and things like that. This is like literally Lonely Planet for lots of lonely planets. Yep, that's right. <laughs> moons around the planets. It's so cool. Like, so it starts out like at a glance, like the kind of, you know, where's the currency, here's the languages, but it's the size of the planet, the mass, the, the moons of the planet, the temperatures, weather and climate, when to go, like the seasons and stuff, mm-hmm. like, and then getting there, how to get there, of course, what to do when you arrive, where to get your money changed, getting around, <laughs> like if, you know, if I said those, like... Gift shops, yeah. you can't leave without a suit. If I, I'm not going to go to Venus and not get a magnet. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of rocks for sale in the gift shops, I think. <laughs> for sale, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fill up your pockets. And then, of course, it's like what to see when you're there, which that's kind of the science stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what was your favorite one? Like, where would you go? If you had to pick only, uh, obviously you've been to all of them. The, that's a, the, the thing. Is that <laughs> yeah. Traveling yeah. to visit them all for you free. You have to. Otherwise, how can you tell people about yeah. them? Yeah. <laughs> so what was your favorite one to visit? Um, well, I really, uh, I, I already talked about really enjoying going to Titan, the moon of Saturn. Um, but I think another place that, that really captures my imagination uh, is the, is Venus. And so Venus on the surface, it's a terrible place to visit. <laughs> um, it's it's hot enough to melt tin. Um, it's just it's you wouldn't survive very long there. The probes that have been sent there took a few pictures and then you know imploded and melted and <laughs> everything went wrong. Uh, but in the clouds of Venus, it's a completely different story. So oh. thirty miles above the surface, in the clouds, um, the conditions are some of the most Earth-like in the solar system. Surprisingly, so again, you, you'd obviously you'd need uh, you could breathe the air. It's a thick carbon dioxide atmosphere. Uh-huh. But the temperature is very similar to Earth up there. Oh. The gravity is very similar to Earth. Um, pressure is even similar. There there are, you know, sulfuric acid clouds, oh, no. corrosive clouds. There's always a downside. Yeah. Shout out, a shout out, by the way, to Winston Eisman on Instagram, whose question was, I heard Carl Sagan and others looked into colonizing Venus above its cloud layer. Mm-hmm. Is that something... Are, uh, scientists are still looking into. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so NASA has done speculative studies about sending um, uh, probes into the atmosphere of Venus. Um, the challenge right now is they are not sure whether the electronics that we have available would be able to survive the environment. So like I was oh, talking about no. these like corrosive situation yeah. that we have there, there's just more tests. It doesn't mean that we can't develop those, um, but it's something that hasn't been fully tested yet. And so um, in thinking about future missions um the excitement and and um forward motion has been more towards the outer moon so like europa for instance um the moon of jupiter has kind of been next in line for what we might send probes to explore um but i think after that the skies of venus might be a a, a sensible choice that's fine what's the most romantic place you can go in the galaxy oh romantic are we like when people are honeymooning like, well venus is romantic right because it's, <laughs> it's got like that it's you're up in the clouds. Um, I also think I, I personally am a fan of the rings of Saturn. Ooh. I just think oh, those yeah. are just they're glittering and beautiful. you put a ring on it. Now you put a ring on it. Do you have any yeah, actual please. Saturn rings from your blog? We, you can definitely get Saturn on a ring. Mm. I oh man, I don't know that I've seen a ring that's actually only the Saturn's rings. If you know what I mean, like a ring that's just printed with the Saturn. Get ten percent. Yeah, <laughs> that's a nice one. We do have a lot of like collaborations with. Hmm. Hmm. I loved the 
that dress, there's a dress with a beautiful there's a dress with the Saturn's the, rings. Yeah, I think there's even, there might be blog. companies that, that make them. And I think one has the moon on it, too. One mm-hmm. might have a little moon that's one of the moons near Saturn's rings. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah, we could, like, Clothing so, is, like, a good thing to talk about, only because if you, let's say you go to any of these planets and you're wearing the spacesuit, are you, you can't shower at any point? Like, is everybody just really smelly the whole time? <laughs> well, oh. I mean, presumably there'll be habitats that are larger where you can take your spacesuit off. But if you're actually visiting the surface of the planet and going, you know, outside in your spacesuit, um, yeah, it's a tricky business, right? Keeping yourself <laughs> clean. Um, it's more of, so it might be more of like a cruise vacation where you have, you know, you have your spaceship that you can go back to that's got your room and, and your yeah. bunk on it. And then you go, you know, you go to each port or something like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. And you, spend the day and, you know, you snorkel or you ride the moped around and then you go back to the boat. Mm-hmm. And that's where you can shower and get norovirus. And <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I've never been on a cruise, it. actually. Those are the, the like, Oh, you're very lucky. That's why you've never been on a cruise. You're thinking about it. I did it one time. (laughs) I only think of the norovirus. Mm. There's a question that sort of relates to that um, because we're talking about all the amazing places we can go and the cruise. I like the space cruise. Um, This guy wrote, I'm 31 years old. So am I. Um, (laughs) Is there a chance, this is the burgers, John Burger on Instagram. Is there a chance I could see Earth from space before I die and will it be affordable? So what's the timeline? Is there a timeline? Well, it's Uh, it's so hard, right, to be able to say what the timelines really would be. But there's certainly people who are now experimenting with suborbital flights. Um, they're, they're selling them. They're not actually sending people up yet. Um, but that that is much, would be much more affordable than getting into orbit because you just don't need to at- attain quite as much speed. And it's really, it takes a lot of fuel and it's quite expensive to get into orbit. But a suborbital flight would be great because um, you could see the curvature of the Earth. You could experience uh, weight microgravity for a little while. Cool. Um, it's, Otherwise known as free fall. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, straight it's, yeah. up free fall. <laughs> yep. I'm like, the, I'm the wrong person to host this show because <laughs> I'm going to stay right here. I don't want to go on a cruise. I don't like. <laughs> I would do the vomit comment in a heartbeat. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's also you're just the only you're reason you're flying is because you're just falling. Yeah, you're in free fall. Like that's that just <laughs> terrifies me. But yeah, I guess that's another option too. The vomit comment. I think that's much more affordable. You can actually buy flights on the vomit comet. Yeah. I think you have to I think you might they don't like it if you as call part it the, the vomit comet. <laughs> <Sorry. Yeah. laughs> or at least to go to so there 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 have been space tourists before. Mm-hmm. Right? Literally people have paid to go into space. And yep. I think to even the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. I met one. more than that. Yeah. It was twenty million dollars yeah. is the ticket. Sounds about right. Expensive. Yeah. Um the the um the soy so at the Intrepid Air and Space Museum there's a space shuttle we have the lander, the Enterprise that's the space shuttle lander. Um, and there's a Soyuz capsule there. And what I didn't know until I went and, and got a little tour is that the Soyuz capsule is literally from a space tourist. Mm-hmm. And so he paid the $20 million and then they were like, oh, you know, do you want the DVD of it? I mean, the Soyuz. Like, I think he paid like an extra, you know, a couple million dollars for the capsule and then donated it to the Air and Space Museum. Um, uh, Air, no, it's not Air and Space. That's the Smithsonian. So the Intrepid... It might be Air, Sea, and Space. Mm. Intrepid Air, Sea, and Space Museum. But it's there because, like, he got to keep it. Because they don't reuse <laughs> these things. Yeah. Like, right. It's so funny that that was just like a, you know, an add-on, like, upsell at the end. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like when you go on a roller coaster and they sell you that overpriced Picture, photograph. Yeah. Like, right, you right, want right, the capsule? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you smiled. Like, oh, the Russians aren't evil. They're, <laughs> they're just selling their junk. Yeah. 
Like, are we, you know, it's either that or a statue of Lenin or something like that. What about to the moon? Is that a hundred years away going to the moon? A thousand years away? I mean, we've gone there already, right? I mean, like as yeah. a tourist, though. Like, oh, as a tourist. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that w- the the key to this is is affordability, right? It just takes so much fuel and it's so expensive now. And part of that is... Um, uh, with the issue that SpaceX is looking into, which is the reusability of their rockets. And so, um, in a sense, if you're throwing away um, the the fuel containers after you use them every time, it's kind of like you're throwing away the airplane after you've taken the flight. Right. And so, you could think about, you know, a scenario in which things are much less expensive if we're a- able to regularly reuse these. Um, but it's, again, like, I really hate speculating into the future because it's <laughs> inevitably wrong. Um, but I don't think that we're going to have to wait a hundred years for um, some people to be able to purchase trips to the moon. In fact, um, you know, SpaceX is talking about sending people, if not to the surface of the moon, on a loop around the moon, um, you know, in the next 10 years. Wow. So we'll see if that plays out. 10 years? So this 31-year-old yeah. might make it. <laughs> I mean, is there like an age cutoff? I feel like once you reach like 80, you probably shouldn't be doing space travel. Oh, but people have gone, like John Glenn went back to, John Glenn went on the space shuttle when he was relatively, like after he was a senator and everything. He went mm. back. Um, and so he was relatively old. And uh, like I, wa- I want to say in his 70s when he wow, flew yeah. again. Yeah. Well, I feel like if you had like a bad back or something, like, like going in microgravity yeah. would be oh, yeah. great Instead of you. like the gravity chair or the gravity boots mm-hmm. or something like that. I would, as much as I'm like terrified of pretty much every, you know, heights, enclosed spaces, like darkness, like I do want to be alive when people go back to the moon. Mm-hmm. So none of us have been alive when people walked on the moon. Mm-hmm. I want to watch people walk on the moon. Yeah. Like, I just hope they're not just like dumb hipsters. Like, I don't want them to be like, like if they're like <laughs> real tourists <laughs> and it's just like, if they're just like space tourists so it's just like some dude is like, bro, I just came in for the Instagram. We're like, oh my God, are you oh, smoking in space? a cute little like Italian family or something like that. And they're like, oh, we're on the moon. We're on the moon. <laughs> when the moon hits your eye. You have to sing that song if they're Italian, right? I don't know. I picked Italian. I, I just That's like the safest them. one you could go with. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. What have the Italians ever done wrong? Mm, no, pretty much nothing. Um, I love that. Like the Museum of Natural History. Cough, cough, Mussolini. Yeah, cough, cough. <laughs> cough. <laughs> nothing. I'm pretty sure. I just came from the Museum of Natural History where Jan and I uh, overlapped. And like one of the things that I love about the museum is how international it is. And they, you know, when they they, clo- they do the museum is about to close, it goes through, it must be about 12 different languages that, it, that it's announced in. And people are still wandering around. And, you know, when somebody gets lost, you never know if you can actually, like, give them directions in English. And you feel bad for not knowing, like, 10 different foreign languages when you're a scientist at this museum because it's so it's wonderful. I would love for this to be, like, for space travel to also be very international like that mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and Absolutely. I, I think it's really important to think about, you know, we're kind of, yeah, go, who gets right? to go, right? Yeah. Like, like right now we have a situation where it's it's extremely expensive to explore space, even, you know, robotically. It's not, like, a, a, a necessarily a democratic thing you know and it's important to think about who we want to send you know because that's going to affect the future you know I believe there will be a time when people are regularly traveling to these places and we should think about um, how the decisions we make now in terms of like space treaties and who owns what and who's allowed to travel where and how much cooperation uh, Donald Trump has space force (laughs) we have a space force now that's the I think does he just have like little action figures on his desk and he's like this is space force like fine make that a policy. Oh my gosh. There is a, there's Space Command. There's, anyway, mm-hmm. should we hit, do a couple more couple yeah. questions? Uh, this one's interesting. So, musical astronomy on oh. Instagram. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't know if I should sing it. Um, but hi, Star Talk. Your show is out of this world. <laughs> well was, <done>. Yes. <laughs> was wondering how one would observe time on Jupiter compared to Earth. Also, how would a transition from a planet of a super immense mass, such as Jupiter, to space affect the human body? Would it be able to function without regulators? But let's tackle the time. Does Is time different? Uh, is time different? Well, I guess they're measuring like, their years different. Oh, yeah, but. so the years, the, so a year as defined as the time it takes the planet to orbit around the sun. I don't remember exactly what it is. It's like Jupiter's about eleven years. Eleven years, yeah. okay. Um, and so and so obviously, like that, it depends. It's not actually changing how you experience time. Right. Your your watch, you know, provided you're not outside on Jupiter where it wouldn't work. Um, but you know, the seconds are going to be ticking away the same way. Um, but you can also think about the day as well. Um, day is probably the more important thing, huh? Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, but it's a little tricky, right? Because usually when we're thinking about a day on Earth, it's because we're standing in one place on the Earth and the Earth is rotating. And on Jupiter, because it's a gas planet, there's nowhere to actually stand on a surface. <laughs> um, and so you're going to be probably orbiting around. Maybe you're oh. floating in the atmosphere, although it's tricky to think about how to make craft that... Uh, you know, are floating in the atmosphere of Jupiter because the, the gases are so light. So um, you might be orbiting around on Jupiter, in which case um, how long it takes you to actually go around once is going to change depending on, you know, your orbital situation. Huh. So. Gotcha. So orange and full of hot air with things dying <laughs> as they rotate around it. So basically our president. <laughs> Politics joke, everybody. <laughs> we, we would have a little bit. So only really like the the... According to general and special relativity, like the speed that you travel at and the gravity that you're in <laughs> would affect time a tiny little bit. But within the solar system, nothing of that is really going to be very measurable, right? Yeah. Unless I don't, you're like... I don't think you'd experience... You wouldn't experience that difference. But yeah. you're right. If you Unless are... you travel there in light speed and then you can... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're at the cloud tops of Jupiter, for example, I, I think the what you would be feeling from the acceleration due to Jupiter's gravity would be a little bit more than you do on the surface of the Earth, in which case your clock would would tick a little bit slower as observed by someone somewhere Oh, that's else. right. And then it's... Um, for you, it would seem the same. Anyway, but yeah. someone else somewhere around yeah. would see you in a, you know, in a stronger, in a deeper gravitational situation. And that would change how that clock was ticking. Okay. So... Yeah, time, it's... <laughs> yeah, that, so that's not going to be a huge concern. No, it? you're not going to notice that. Mm -hmm. How to get there, how to survive, what to wear, what souvenirs to bring home. Mm -hmm. Right, so musical astronomy, don't worry about it. <laughs> It'll be fine. Let's uh, take a short break, and then we'll be back with more from Jana of the Intergalactic Travel Bureau when Star Talk All-Stars returns. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm Emily Rice, your All Star co-host, and joining me today is co-host Harrison Greenbaum. Hey, thank you for being here. And we've been talking to Jana Gersovich about her work in science education, including her book, The Vacation Guide to the Solar System. Um, so this is done with uh, through the Intergalactic Travel Bureau, which was literally an event, like literally a, a travel bureau yep. that you did at festivals, and there was a like there was a physical 
location right at one point in, yep. he, nearby where we are now in Midtown Manhattan. Can yeah, you tell us about that. Really um, quick? So there's an arts organization called Tashama that donated a storefront space, and we set up like a travel agency. Um, we put a bunch of space travel posters on the walls, um, and this is Midtown Manhattan, and there were a bunch of people in suits walking by, <laughs> and we were trying to sell them all space vacations. Nice. So it was a lot of fun. We had uh, we had a lot of people come in, and we talked with them. Uh, there was one lady that I remember, which was great, she came in on her lunch hour, and she wanted um, a flight to the Bahamas. She thought it was a, re- <laughs> she thought it was a real a real travel agency. Um, so I said, you know, we don't we don't actually sell flights to the Bahamas, but, you know, could I could I interest you in perhaps Venus? It's very <laughs> much, much warmer even than the Bahamas. Yeah. Um, and she starts looking around and seeing all the space posters and realizes that this is not a normal... She was probably like, what did I have yeah. for <laughs> Exactly. And did she walk into a Dwayne Reed expecting it to be a blockbuster? Like, is she ten years a time traveler from ten years ago? I guess so. But uh, so she did you end up time. selling her? Uh, you know, in the way that we sell everyone's vacations. <laughs> but she was excited to hear about it. Oh, definitely. nice, awesome, awesome. There's a good question here because we're talking. We've been talking about the solar system, mm. but if you want to go outside of the galaxy, yeah. um, this person asking about a different universe. I don't. Is there more than one universe? Not that we that can, we can travel to. Not that we can access information about. <laughs> Let's stick to just different galaxies. That, he's asking about different universes is a whole other philosophical question. But uh, this person on Facebook, Yiko Yeko, I hope I don't. I'm not butchering her name, but Yiko Blanchard or his name. Which outlet, wormholes, black holes, etc., would be best utilized to travel to a different galaxy? Ooh, yeah. Mm. Uh, so, we do, so it's the Intergalactic Travel Bureau, but that's a little bit of a misnomer. Yeah, right? it's it's uh, you know it's marketing. Um, <laughs> we well, maybe always, there's a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> we we always say when when people want to travel outside the solar system, which of course many people do, um, we're happy to send them out in some direction. Uh, we don't guarantee that they'll arrive to that destination because um, anything outside of our solar system is much much. It's hard for us to conceive of these distances, right? right? And it's so far away. There's no hope of reaching another star in a human lifetime with you know anything. Well, can you use a black hole yet, yet, or a wormhole um, or anything like that? So um, so those is for, we don't know of any nearby wormholes or black holes that we could access. Um, you might be able, if you were near one, you might be able to use it for gravitational purposes. So okay. um, you could use it as its gravity, not going into it, but kind of going around it. Oh, and like the slingshot. Energy. Exactly. The so this is spacecraft sling- slingshot. Yeah. So um, so oftentimes you, you'll kind of use like a massive planet in its orbit, its, mo- its motion and its gravity to kind of pull you along and give you a little extra energy in your orbit. And so we call that gravity slingshot. You could imagine doing the same thing if you had a nearby, you know, black hole or wormhole in your back pocket. <laughs> we don't know about any of those. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times people are thinking about um, using a wormhole to like travel through to a different place. We don't know of any yeah. wormholes that exist. We've never observed wormholes. They're purely theoretical. Um, so there are scientists that are thinking about how those might exist, um, but they're, they're not a real thing yet. Um, that we've what we've found. Black holes are a real thing that we found. But you wouldn't um, survive that. If you, you went in you one, you went, would never come yeah. out. <laughs> if you went past um, what's called the event horizon, which is kind of like the edge of a black hole, you, you might survive into the black hole. It's possible to. Um, but uh, in a lot of scenarios, as you get kind of closer to what's called the singularity, um, those gravitational effects are going to stretch you out. They're going to spaghettify you. They're going to kill you. It's going to be very unpleasant. And obviously, if you went into one, past the event horizon you can't get out so it's that's 
kind of the worst way to travel anywhere, right? right. <laughs> so it's definitely <laughs> a one-way able trip. to come back, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that answers another question, which was uh, about, is Interstellar realistic <laughs> in oh. space travel? What is your view on the movie Interstellar and how could it actually happen? Because that, I think he's traveling by either wormhole or black hole. There, yeah, there's I a... the details. <laughs> it's hiding behind Saturn, mm. isn't it? Like, the how they get to Gargantua. The, the planets that they go to are around Gargantua, like the black hole, right? But I think somehow the black hole that they go to is like hiding behind Saturn if I remember correctly which mm. I don't think is very Seems unlikely yeah I know. <laughs> there's a little bit of a although they did like I will say about Interstellar that the astronaut that explained the the wormhole like how they do travel um, explained it very well and explained mm-hmm. like general relativity very well with the folding of the paper and the connecting of space time that way and so it's like you know I still kind of like the movie as like general relativity as a plot point mm-hmm. that is explained on on the screen mm-hmm. like and they play with how time works too right yeah, which I think is, is yes really oh that's right because they go because... to the they go to the planet with the with the tides like the water mm-hmm. surface planet and then the little thing happens and then they go back to the spacecraft and the astronaut that stayed on the spacecraft is... This is a spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay. But that movie, Spoiler alert. I think this movie came out a long okay, time ago. Yeah, yeah, if you're going to see it. Okay. Like, um, and, and he's aged, and then he ends up passing away because the gravity was so different between those two places where they mm. were. I mean, they, they shouldn't have been that different for them to actually be able to walk on the surface, and there's still some, but... Oh, no, the gravity, I think because they got closer to the black hole was why the gravity was supposed to be big. It was, mm. it was still a little bit iffy, but again, mm-hmm. Kip Thorne, like, science um, consulted on that movie, mm. and he's now a Nobel Prize winner. Now it's a Nobel Prize winner, Kip Thorne, and so <laughs> it's probably pretty good. Does he just yeah. wear it around his neck all the time? I you feel like if I won a Nobel Prize, I'd be like, <laughs> I'm Nobel Prize winning, Kip, if you want yeah, to. that's what <laughs> I would to be like. you. Yeah. Nobel Prize, I won one. Yeah. I would. There's a, there's somebody, the um, another American that has one works in Baltimore, and I think like in the building that he works at in Baltimore, the space science, space telescope science institute, like they have it in the like lobby. But I think mm. it might like his Nobel Prize. But I think it might actually be a replica of the Nobel Prize. Uh-huh. I think they might like hand out. You know, you get one real one to like put on your fridge or your mantle, and then you get a couple more to share. I'm not mm. sure how it works. Uh-huh. I, one of my I want to find out more. Yeah, one of my friends worked with a a, a group that was uh, somebody in the group was awarded the Nobel Prize and um, and it was so funny because he had a picture of it and there was the medal and then there was this plastic bag and it was a Nobel Prize branded plastic bag that had come in. <laughs> swag bag. Yeah, it was a swag bag because you can't just, but you it can't just put it in like a, a, a yeah, box? like one of those thank you, thank you plastic bag. I don't know. <laughs> Does he ever lose an argument say. where he's like, oh, what do I know? I only won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> That, yeah, I do want paper and not plastic. <laughs> yeah, it should be biodegradable. They're using plastic. I don't know. That's the whole thing. Looked like plastic. Maybe it wasn't. But <laughs> <laughs> they're not recycling. It it's a scandal. Yeah, <laughs> they got to in order to keep the million dollar prize. They got to skimp on some other things. Mm. So here's a interesting question, and this is something that affects the Earth too. But uh, when people, and I'm going to extrapolate a little bit because Ted Shevlin posed the question. Uh, he's one of our Patreon members, so thank you. Um, he's talking about when. Uh, the NASA Office of Safety and Mission Assurance. NASA or NASA? I'm from NASA, so maybe that's why I said it that way. I'm from Long Island. Uh, also a Simpsons joke. Yeah. Mm. The NASA uh, aims to ensure that anything launched from Earth does not biologically contaminate other worlds. Oh, yeah. As space tourism scales and people start visiting the moon and then Mars, how do we ensure the planetary protection? Like when you, when I visited Australia or when you go to England, it's like, did you touch any livestock? Yeah. Those problems oh, yeah, are exponentially yeah. worse when you go to the moon or Mars. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? 
It, yeah, this is hugely important and I think underappreciated um, because it's while we haven't found evidence that, you know, life has evolved, for instance, on Mars, it may well have. And uh, it's possible there are some life forms that we have here on Earth that could uh, survive in a Mars-like environment. Um, and so we have to think about how life, you know, has this way of evolving and finding but roots life, of, yeah, is it from like Jurassic it, Park? Yeah. <laughs> from Jurassic Park. Do I don't it. know. Who wants to do it? I, I can't. Life, think I can't. Life, uh, life finds, finds a way. way. Oh, that's the, right. Uh, I feel like I have to open my shirt the up theory have like chest yeah. hair and then like lay back. Yeah, you can probably do that you knock them a little bit better. Yeah. Life, uh, Finds a way. Life finds a way. And also clever girl. That's like, I think that's a Jurassic world. Yeah. Yeah, but how tragic would it be to, to learn that on Mars there was life that had existed yeah, and, and then, then we, we killed it. Suddenly, you know, something that we did affected it. Sounds know, vaguely familiar. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that we care about this now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, That's why we don't like to call it space colonization, mm -hmm. right? Well, and I think that this is a really important point. Like we do, we sh we have the ability to travel to these other places, but we should think really hard about how we want to do that and what that says about us yeah. as people as a, as and a kind of we have only as a civilization, but as a planet. Mm -hmm. As wow. Yeah, we, have, we haven't done the greatest job of <laughs> stewarding our environment here on Earth. And, yeah. you know, how would that, the culture that we've developed here on Earth, how would that affect other planets? And um, is that, and we should be mindful of, you know, whether our exploration is affecting those planets and how that might affect life that exists there or future generations of humans that are traveling to this place. Um, like yeah. space junk is an excellent example of this. Yeah. Um, because it's just out there. Yeah. I, I mean, Mars is like a robot graveyard a mm -hmm, little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a bunch of them there just sitting there. Yeah, and even in orbit around Earth, like what yeah. we what we leave up there in orbit now can affect uh, space travel in the future and can make things more dangerous for astronauts. Oh, right, happen. there's like I mean satellites spinning around. There's oh all yeah, sorts they of do, junk. you know they do, like stuff dies and then it gets it just stays out there. Um, we're pretty good about it. so that's why Cassini was crashed into. Saturn. Mm -hmm. They could have. So this happened right um, September fifteenth, twenty. It's twenty eighteen now, twenty seventeen. I've got to like check my watch. It's twenty eighteen. Um, but because they, they could have put it in a stable orbit and just kind of left it there, but they decided no, we're going to crash it into Saturn because you know now that we've figured out that there's all these other moons out there and that so many of them could potentially be. I don't want to say habitable. They may be habitable, yeah, mm -hmm. but in a kind of yeah. like life as we don't yet know it kind of way. They said, okay, crash land it into the, um, not even crash land it because it doesn't land, but like disintegrate it in the atmosphere of, of Saturn. And so mm -hmm. that's what they did and it, as like a protection measure, which I think is kind of like mind blowing that that was actually a decision that had to be made. Mm -hmm. And it was made. And also, I'm sure it was yeah. fun. Like, everybody likes to blow stuff up. I know, right? It, <laughs> was, like, Woo! it was sad more than anything <laughs> yeah. else because it was this, such this long mission, like, you, you know, and, and to know that the space, and it also, like, went so well. That mm -hmm. was the amazing thing. It was thing. like a like picture it, of the, of, of the, what, of that thing with, in, with like flowers and candles. Like, they had a <laughs> yeah, memorial like, for there it. There it goes. <laughs> it was interesting because I was on Twitter while this was happening yeah. and everyone was talking about it. It was a very, like, emotional event. It was almost like a landing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, because when it was predicted and where it was predicted to go and like the last image and the last signal and mm -hmm. stuff, it was like it was also like a triumph of technology and a mm -hmm. triumph of the mission, really, to like have it go very much as planned. Yeah. Yeah. Even, you know, at the end uh, instead of the beginning a little bit. Uh, we might have time for one more cosmic Ooh. query. 
All right, we we've hit almost all of it. Um, oh. We'd be able to tour another galaxy. We hit that one. What's the best planet for space tourism? We kind of talked about Venus a little bit. Don't Jupiter is gaseous. Yeah. Is there any I planet we left moon. out that we really should give a shout out there's to? So many though. I, oh, there's not. <laughs> what one was the one that what you were like? There, I am never ever going to go to Queens. And then you were like, Oh, this <laughs> beer garden actually sounds super fun. <laughs> I I think Pluto is. Yeah? It, it's way out there, so it's going to take you a while to get Let's there. Let's be careful yeah. of calling it a planet. Oh yeah, yes. it's not a planet. I'm sorry. It's a dwarf <laughs> planet, but it's still Staten a place Island. Well, no, Staten Island is still officially a borough. It's like, it's like that. Roosevelt Island. It's a Staten Island of planets. No. Staten Island is a borough. <laughs> yeah. It's the Roosevelt Island. I love people Island. from Staten Island. You come here once a year, get spices, bring it back to the natives. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. But uh, but really, what really fascinated me about it was we knew so little about it 10 years ago. And now we have this wealth of, uh, wealth of information. We have these... Um, you know, it has these amazing, yeah. beautiful, like, um, heart-shaped plain. Um, oh. It has pink mountains on it. So it's got both um, water ice and nitrogen ice and methane snow caps. Um, it's, you know, very, very low gravity environment. Like, I think it's like 10% Earth gravity. And so imagining going there... Um, you know, you have these these dark skies, the sun. You'd be able to see the sun. It would look like a bright star. But it's, oh, it really wow. feels alien in a way that some of the other planets, you it's know. It's like almost as as far as you sorry, can get planets. at the... See, I'm doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> other um, celestial bodies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But then And then it's so, like, I'm so excited about this. And I want everybody uh, listening to Star Talk to know to n- pay attention to New Horizons. Because mm-hmm. it's yes. still going. Yes, yes. And it's going to fly by another really distant solar system object January 1st, 2019. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that object is called MU69, I believe. And it's going to take pictures. It's going to be super awesome. <laughs> Did they have 68 things before it or were they just trying to be funny? They're was, like, what no, number should we yeah, use? 69. They, oh my gosh. <laughs> The, the spacecraft that launched a thousand jokes. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So we got to wrap it up. Uh, you've been listening to Star Talk All Stars. Thank you to Harrison Greenbaum for co hosting today. My pleasure. And thank you to Jana Gersovich for giving us some insight into uh, tourism in the solar system and the Intergalactic Travel Bureau. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. And I've been your host, Emily Rice. Remember to keep asking questions. 